0: Daddy Squared The Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Yandekil Thank you very much.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared The There <laughs> the, 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 the
0: the gay dad podcast. Thank you guys for joining us
1: again. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And Alex, you know, I wanted to talk about something really, really uh, interesting. Uh, I was just picking the kids up the other day at school, and as we passed by another mom from the, their class, she opened the door of her car, and her car was. Amazingly clean.
0: Yeah, I hate her and everything she represents. It's
1: amazing! Yeah. How could she do that? I mean, my car and also your car—it looks like a trash can, basically
0: can i actually if, if just my car was a restaurant it would have been the seat at best yeah or shut down oh my god no it's actually remarkable what's going on in the back seat of my car right now there are new forms of life being created back there amazing it's yeah really bad yeah it's really bad
1: things are growing there yeah. and i don't know if you guys are following us on instagram but uh, a few weeks ago the kids just uh, came back with the uh, with two bottles of glue <laughs> as a present for Father's Day. Like, for it was Mom's Day, but in our school, it's like Family Day. Yeah. So, they gave it to me and they held it while we were driving back home. Um, and, you know, they tried on the glue on the back seat of my car. So, everything, including their clothes and everything, is like all glue and it's still there. Yeah. It's still, I haven't found like the time to, you know, between that and school and the vacations and planning out our trip to Israel uh, this summer and all of the things that's going on and working, the car is like the one who suffers the most.
0: Poor car. (laughs) I know that there are
1: people who are, you know, so uh, obsessed about their cars and being clean. I'm not one of them, but it's amazing how much
0: shit, yeah, there's a lot shit. In the car. and some of it is literal yes. yes yeah I don't know if you know this but there are people crazy people who love their cars so much that they clean their cars they buff the outside of the car with a diaper because a diaper doesn't scratch it's very soft and so what I was thinking to myself is in our case <laughs> we, we them, could they? use a diaper that's been used already <laughs>
1: Please write to us if you uh, have kids. How do you keep your car clean? Or is it just like our situation? But really, any recommendation will be amazing to us because we want to keep our... Or at least we want to teach our kids to... (laughs) You know, it's when we that. Yeah, it's, it's it, too late
0: for that. Is I have to tell you No 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 but but seriously for a minute, I do think that one of the areas that we have done a very bad job of so far in raising our children is one of the many. One of the many, but this yeah. is what I'm just picking on this one. Um, is we're not doing a really good job of A demonstrating what it is to clean up and to maintain cleanliness, and B demonstrating their need to be involved. They're already three and a half years old and we're we're they're still we're still letting them get away with us doing all of the cleaning. Yeah. And uh, it's not it's not good. I mean, you know, we we yeah. confess here on the Daddy Squared podcast. Yeah. So I'm well, just Well, I confessing. think that
1: um yeah, it, and it's kind of related to what we talked about last week with David uh yep. Bertka that yeah, we need to get the kids involved. Our problem is that we're so exhausted at this point trying to, you know, keep their Alive, (laughs) keep them not killing themselves because they're so doing some crazy shit that they're doing. So we kind of exhausted at the end of the day, and to to add to it, like the layer of teaching them stuff uh, like that, instead of which, like you said, make it a lot slower and so much slower. um, So it needed some extra energy that we currently maybe don't have
0: Yeah, we, we probably have it
1: but we just don't use it
2: that is please
1: write to us at hello at daddy or on instagram at the gay dads podcast and you know Alex one of the most fascinating emails that we got this week from it was from a plastic surgeon in Arizona so he was kind of suggesting for us to dedicate one of our shows to circumcision for oh, boys yeah? yeah and as gays it's kind of some sometimes can be an Issue it's if you're not religious, but another thing, as we corresponded, he told me that one of the most popular plastic surgery for men at his clinic is reconstruction of the foreskin for for grown-ups. And I'm like, what would people not do for like extra sex? Because I, it's all about sex. Let's face it. I, I mean, they say it's a body image issue, but no, honey, I, it's sex. I, I don't know. You Listen, just want to get laid more.
0: And you think that having a foreskin is gonna just, like what, people are gonna be walking around and they'll say, hey, it looks like you have a foreskin on those pants. <laughs> I don't understand. That is ridiculous. You no. know what,
1: after I heard, so he explained to me how he does that, and I'm not going to repeat no. that, because it's so
0: gross no. that you don't wanna know. I like the idea of my penis being handled by a doctor, but not in that way. Daddy, S Q R. You know, I think that now is a pretty good time to do uh, actually two thank yous. Um, The first thank you I'd like to do is I'm not sure that everybody is aware that uh, this this podcast is uh, produced by my husband, Jan. And there's a fairly serious amount of work that goes into, um, you know, pulling together our guests and. Editing this thing and making it work, and thank you, Jan, because it means a lot to me because I love this. So sweet, yeah, I love it too. And then, of course, our second thank you is to our sponsor. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. Are you ready to become a dad? Surrogacy is a wonderful way to grow your family. Circle Surrogacy was founded by a gay dad through surrogacy and has been helping gay singles and couples become parents for over 20 years. Because surrogacy is an emotional and financial investment, finding the right agency to partner with you and support you on your journey is very important. Circle Surrogacy believes that everyone should have the opportunity to be a parent. Learn more at Circlesurrogacy.com. Circle Surrogacy, their service is excellent. <laughs> uh. Circle Surrogacy, you'll see men and women who will help oh my god no? <laughs> they'll fertilize your plans they've come to your door and knocked up your chances for a happy life no? <laughs> no not good the first one maybe you like that one? Oh, come on I like the semen one
1: it's kind of gross thank you circle reconstruction of the foreskin for you Today we're going to talk about transgender kids, and um, we brought on marriage and family therapist David Straugh, uh who also has a transgender kid, and I found it uh, fascinating. He wrote a book called um, Gay Dads, A Celebration of Parenthood. Uh, he, he wrote it uh, a while back when mm-hmm. it was less popular to have kids when you're gays. Yep. When you're gays. Mm-hmm. We brought him on to talk to him from the psychology side of it and also from the being a parent of it. He's, he's, apparently he's been in LA, he's been very vocal about uh, having a transgender kid and he's been helping a lot of families um, to go through this. And um, I think it was the last season when we got the first email from a gay couple who adopted a transgender teen was thrown out of his home. And they kind of told me the story. Um, They didn't want me to mention them by name because it was yet not finalized, the adoption. But I found it so amazing what what they've done. And I think that there are a lot of gay couples out there who would do this for transgender kids who are not wanted by their parents. Because we know exactly what it's like. Yeah. So we brought David and we talked to him about it. And I think we should listen to the interview unless you have something else to say, Alex. No, no, let's listen to the interview. We'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, here's David. Good morning, David. Good morning, Thank How you are so you? much for being with us. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, just uh, in short so that people will know uh, who we're speaking with.
2: <laughs> okay, so my name is David Straw. And I think I'm going to kind of wear two hats in this podcast. So one is going to be me as a person, a gay dad. I have two children that were adopted at birth. My older son is 21 and in college. And then my younger son was actually born a girl and transitioned around the age of 14. So now I have two sons. How old is your younger? My younger son will be 18 in June, so he is just finishing high school, wow. and he's going to go to art school uh, in the fall. So we're really excited about that. And it, so that's kind of my personal hat. My professional hat is that I'm a psychotherapist in Los Angeles. I work at a community-based mental health clinic, and then I also have a private practice. And I uh, my specialization from Antioch was LGBT affirmative therapy, mm-hmm. and in private practice, I see couples, individuals, and kids. I got it. This
0: is Alex. Hi, uh, uh, I hi, gotta, Alex. <laughs> hi, I got to ask. Can you just give us a second on what what does affirmative therapy mean?
2: Yeah. So affirmative therapy is really thinking about um, therapy for the LGBT community without the heteronormative lens. So it's really taking into account the differences that the LGBT people um have had growing up, which usually includes some trauma mm. or a lot of trauma and where they're at right now and the differences. So really seeing them a little bit differently than um you know heterosexuals. Got it. Oh, interesting.
0: <laughs>
1: I always think that as a gay dad myself, but also seeing other gay dads, that we are, I think, much more sensitive towards uh, our kids' genders. What are the signs of a transgender kid?
2: I think we have to think about gender as a spectrum. You know, there's, there's sort of two ends of the spectrum, and most people fall kind of towards one end or the other, Um And a lot of people fall somewhere in between. And so I think that we just have to be conscious of kids trying on different things. And maybe they're going to be transgender. Maybe they're going to be gender non-binary. Maybe they're going to decide one day that they're, you know, go one way. And another day they're going to go another way. Um, I think you're right. I think, you know, certainly as, as gay men, you know, we... Hope and expect that people tolerate us and are sensitive and accepting to us. So, hopefully, we'll do that for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important to listen to our kids. And if they're saying something very clearly, to really listen to that. You know, it's sort of a myth that trans people or trans kids, you know, come out and say, I'm, this is, this is the way I am at age two. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are normally a few things um, that happen or that show up, and sometimes it means that they're going to be trans, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it means that they're going to be somewhere in the middle. So I think it's really about educating ourselves, about being sensitive, about creating a household that's trans friendly, um, talking about things, really getting in front of the issues, talking about different, uh, you know, the, the gender spectrum Mm -hmm. and then all the different, all the differences and how it is a spectrum. And you don't have to be one way or the other. You can be something somewhere in between, or you can lean towards, you know, being a boy or lean towards being a girl. And then another day you can decide to do something different. Uh, But
1: it's a process for the parent as well. For example, our son, Mm -hmm. one of them tried on a dress the other day and asked him to call him a princess. Yeah. He's three. That doesn't mean that he's transgender, obviously. No, it doesn't. I mean, I think... So, it's, al- it's always a process. So, what was the process like for you guys?
2: Um, and it, so, again, and the process is different for everyone. And I think it's kind of a myth that at age two, you know, they decide they're the opposite gender than they were born into. Um, so, the process was for us that we're two dads and we have an older son... And there were a few things that sort of happened along the way. Um, I think when my younger son, when he was a girl, probably around five or six, he definitely wanted to wear boys' underwear, so briefs. Mm -hmm. So we went out to the Gap and bought boys' briefs, and we were absolutely fine with that. And we didn't really know what it meant, but we felt that it was, he was directing that and that's something that he wanted to do. So, so we did it. And at the time, to be perfectly honest, we thought, well, he's got two dads and an older brother. So he probably just wants to wear underwear like he sees, you know, other people in his family wearing. Um, there was another time, I think it was around Rosh Hashanah and she needed uh, a new dress rosh hashanah and so i'm going to go back and forth between he and she depending on the age Um, she absolutely refused to wear a dress she wanted a suit so we said okay Um, we went to j crew and bought a suit and then we said okay but you have to have like a flower on the lapel which was, in retrospect, it was kind of silly on our part, <laughs> um, but that you know that was a compromise, and she was very happy, and she looked really chic, you know, kind of Annie Hall style, um, and and was really happy. There was also about two years, probably around nine, ten. Um, he only wanted to wear like board shorts and tank tops to school. Um, and I thought that was a little odd. My husband at the time was in fashion, uh, but we went with it. And then a little bit older, um, around 12, went off to summer camp, and there we, we saw a real shift. All of a sudden, she wanted really, um, feminine clothes. She, she wanted bikinis and clothes from, you know, brands that we had never heard of or never bought from before, but really, really feminine. And I think that she was dealing with the peer pressure at camp at that time. So we, you know, sent her a bunch of stuff and, um, for many years, she was very feminine, wanted her hair blown out, had her nails done every other week. And then it was kind of like a switch that went on. And she said, you know, I think I'm a boy and I want to get my hair cut. And so we said, okay. Okay. what age was it? So this was at about age 14 and a half. So she had real, she had lived as a girl and I would say a very girly girl. I mean, we thought there was a lot of maybe what I would say, male energy. I thought maybe she would be a lesbian, but we were really we were really surprised so so she said you know I, I think i'm really a boy and i want to cut my hair she had very beautiful long curly kind of golden hair she had actually been a child model for many many years and so we said okay and then um she wanted a whole or he wanted a whole new wardrobe and we said, okay. And then he, he came up with a new name for himself. This is all within about two-week period. Um, and we went with that and brought a friend home one day after school, and the friend was calling him this new name. And I was really surprised how easy it was for this other 14-year-old friend. And, uh, and then my son said, you know, I, I need you to call all my teachers and tell them to stop referring to me or calling me by my feminine name, my female, you know, because that's, that's no longer my name. And so we did that and we were very fortunate. Um, at the time he was going to a small private school in Los Angeles and Jewish school, not a Jewish school. No, but it was a small private school. There were only 30 kids in his grade mm. and they all were pretty accepting, um, pretty quickly. And believe it or not, there was another child, same age, who had transitioned a year before. Oh wow! Was twin girl and came back as a boy uh, for an, in eighth grade, I think it was ninth grade, and then the following year there were two other kids, also female to male, that um, started exploring their gender. All within a thirty kid. Always 30 kids, <laughs> wow. 30 kids in the grade. Do you think that yeah.
0: there is, um, an aspect of, um, laying the groundwork where one of them makes it easier for the others to express these differences? I
2: absolutely do because I don't know that our son would have even had the vocabulary right. had it not been for this, for his classmate wow. or his friend. And, and I do think that the internet really provides that too. Sure. For kids, and that just, you know, it didn't exist 20, 25 years ago.
0: Did you personally find, and do you find in your practice, that parents get stuck because they don't know whether this change of expression on the part of their child is something that is part of an important expression that could represent a change, uh, gender change or what have you, or is something that... Um, the parent should engage in a different way. Uh, You know, you talked about putting a flower on the jacket of the the lapel, right? So that was partly driven by some desire on your part to uh, have her fit within uh, the context of where she was and her gender. How do you figure out sort of where that's okay and where you're pushing? How do you know?
2: I think it's a really good question. I think it's really difficult. I think for me as a parent, I have really only recently come to the realization that our children are really not here to fulfill our own narcissistic needs. And that's really hard, right? I'll tell you. Um, so when, so it's one thing um, to talk about gender expression. It's another thing to get a haircut because hair grows back. (laughs) It's another thing to change clothes because you can change clothes again. Right. What I think it's really tricky is when you change the name, even that can be changed back. Um, But when you start doing medical things like taking testosterone and having surgery, which our son did, Mm -hmm. and we, um, paid for it and supported him and you know authorized and all that i think that's when it gets really tricky and as a parent i will tell you to be very you know very honestly it was really difficult and we really did some soul searching as a clinician i think it's really important um, to have those conversations and if it's directed by the child then you sort of have to go you have to go with it Um, so for us, you know, it was one thing I I actually happened to be in school at the time. Um, so it was really, it was really difficult because I I sort of knew what I thought was right intellectually, but as a parent, I was really concerned and I was really concerned about surgery that you, you know, you, you get top surgery and that's it. Um, you start taking testosterone your voice changes your body changes Mm -hmm. hair you get a lot more hair and that's those are those are pretty much permanent changes so so we did some things that were kind of compromises beforehand so so certainly we we got our son into therapy immediately and there are wonderful therapists in los angeles um so that was very helpful we did something called hormone blockers. So he was 14. So he had already gone started to go through puberty. He already had breasts, and they were, you know, fairly good size. Um, so he started on hormone blockers, and that stopped um, him going through pure, uh, puberty and stopped any more, you know, of that growth. The breasts, the kind of the, the way the body would change as a female. That all was just kind of put on hold. Mm. If you stop the hormone blockers, then it goes back naturally. So that gave us kind of like a timeout for six months to really figure out what was going on. um, If this, if he felt that this is really what he wanted, you know, so we had, we had a good six month period. Um, The other thing that happened to me, and this is really more on a personal basis, is that A friend connected me with another friend in the neighborhood who had a child, a daughter who had gone through a similar experience, who was about a year or two older than our son. And they, we got together, and she told me the story of how she really resisted her daughter's transition. And her daughter ended up um, trying to commit suicide and ended up at UCLA pediatric. Which which is not infrequent, right? I mean, it's very common. It's over 40% of all trans kids. And, you know, they had to change their lives. They had to change, you know, remove a lot of things in their house. The daughter was there for 10 days, then on antidepressants and all kinds of stuff. And I just thought, okay, I don't want that to happen to my kid. And that on a really a deep personal basis, that really motivated me to, to go with everything and to really um, help him in this journey and not, and not wait. We had friends who said, "Well, don't you think you should wait until you know she's 18 and then she can make decision?" And, and no. And, and no, And I think that's absolutely wrong because we would have risked our child becoming extremely depressed. The other reason, is that if you wait until your body's fully formed, then when you do make the decision, there's a lot more that you have to take off mm-hmm. all over your body. Right.
1: Uh, is there an age where you can start the uh, medications, in, in a, like a le- well, legally?
2: Th- um, legally in California, it's pretty early, but you do it, you do it around puberty. That's, that's when you, you generally do it. So you know that
1: in Israel, for example, you can't take it before you're 16. So yeah, you can definitely
2: do it earlier in California. I'm not sure about other States. Okay. There's a wonderful children's hospital has uh, I think it's the trans youth health clinic and it's the largest, uh, in the country apparently at, at Los Angeles children's hospital. Wow.
0: I want to just go back, Mm -hmm. uh, earlier, much earlier. um, when I think about uh, the fears that I have right. as a parent, uh, I am not going to pretend that I don't carry around some heteronormative stuff. and We know, all do. Yeah. We so, can't help it. So there's some of that, and there's some of the... <laughs> Um, the narcissistic stuff that you are talking about where I'm thinking about how it affects me. But there's also absolutely no doubt that um, I look at my child and my children and um, every time they do something stupid standing on the edge of the sofa where I just know that we're going to be taking them to the hospital in 15 minutes, I'm, I'm worried for them, right? I'm worried for their well-being and their lives. And I think that, thus far you've done an amazing job of helping us uh, see the um the riches that come back in this person by allowing them to you know find their find their gender in essence right but what happens when they're two or they're four and they want and they're a boy and they want to wear a dress to school so Put them in the uh, Let them wear the dress to school. What about the price that they may pay for wearing a dress at school at the age of four? And what do you do about that?
2: Well, so first of all, I think there are kids doing that all over the country, um, and some of them are paying the price. Some of them are paying the price, and some of them are not paying the price. Yeah, and some of them are in affirming and supportive environments where where they can do that. Right. And so I, I think it's about having a conversation you know will you be safe how how are you going to feel if so and so says something mm. you know does it make sense to wear the dress until we get to school and then change you know do you want to wear the dress for half the day i see let me check in with the teachers first you know um how can the teachers kind of talk to the other kids first maybe mm-hmm. you know why are the teachers why are them in get their support right, right.
0: understood I have to assume that in your line of work, you deal with a, quite a combination of people who have uh, grown up in very supportive environments, in very supportive uh, necks of the woods, like Los Angeles, and people who don't, right? So their experiences must be pretty radically different.
2: I don't, th- most families are not that supportive, I would say, okay. you know, I think Early it's, days. Early days, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I think it's pretty rare. I think it's really rare. And and most, you know, environments that we're in are not really set up to be trans-friendly. Right. Did you guys
1: went to therapy when uh, your son came out as trans?
2: Oh, good question. So he, he did, and we met with the therapist. Okay. A number of times. Yes. Was I would there say, any if it happen to us, i
1: put myself in therapy first. Yeah. Because I don't know what to do. I mean... What do you do? I mean, so. so
2: you do everything you can do. So you read, you know, a bunch of books, you talk to people, you go on the internet, you get a therapist who specializes in it. You know, you, you really educate yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you try to make sure that your home is trans friendly and have the conversations with your child. And you wanna to convey to the child that whatever their gender is, that you're open to it and you're gonna be affirming. And you're going to be there supporting them in their exploration.
0: I do think that what he just mentioned about therapy, what's interesting to me about it is that even if both parents come at this with their heart utterly in the right place, uh, I find it personally so difficult to synchronize around uh, trans people, we have grown up in a culture where the, the pronoun is complicated. There, there are many different things to learn and consider. No matter how sensitive an individual you are, and and I would have to think that you know we go to couples therapy. We talk about it on this podcast constantly. Yeah, um, I, I would find that a really excellent environment to work with my partner on. Okay, how are we handling? And uh, is that something that you would recommend to parents who are dealing with uh, this kind of change?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think you want to really be supportive of each other. And, and also, you know, I mean, I have to be honest, it's, it is really difficult for the parents. It is really difficult if you have one vision of your child and that looks like that's not going to be the way things are going to work out. Right, um, and it is scary when it comes to you know surgery possible surgery or what's going to happen with them. you know, will they fall in love will they will they live happily ever after? Yeah. you know th- I think those are those it's scary that's very real and and there's a and there's a process of grieving that the parents have to do to grieve the loss of the child they thought they had mm-hmm. or the person they thought their child was going to become.
1: Mm-hmm. What was that process like for you?
2: About well them. I'd say it's ongoing to some extent um, it was really hard I mean you know again I think uh, because I had that conversation with a mutual friend and because I was in school um, studying you know gender expression I think it was a little bit easier for me I think intellectually I knew what the right thing to do was but um, for myself, it was hard and it, it was scary, and there were a lot of questions uh, that needed to be answered. And um, you know, it, it, it is it's a pro- it is a process to to grieve. You know, to if you think your child is going to be one way, or if your child has been one way for fourteen years, and then all of a sudden. You know, it's some says, no, that's not the way I am. And, and, and within a few weeks radically changes, you know, I think the parents have to catch up too.
0: well, I got to ask a question about that. How much, um, you don't have to answer this personally if you don't want to, but uh, how much do you feel that there really was, how much has this person changed? so they identify differently from a gender perspective did their sense of humor change did their approach to you change what what how well, basic was the change
2: yeah it's you know it's hard to say because um, he was 14 and a half and now he's almost 18 so 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 much of that change has been as a as a boy and right. I, I think you know i think part of it is that um, we do have social norms. And I think that he really did model himself around um, other boys, mm. you know? So um, just that, mm. yeah.
0: It's, it's very difficult. I think until you um, find yourself in a friendship or a, a, a family relationship with somebody who's trans, it's very difficult to know how a person changes in your in your perspective of them when their gender changes in your eyes because you know without knowing anyone you might assume what's what's going to be the difference they're the same person that they were beforehand but there are kind of fundamental yeah I feelings. think that
2: I think that there really are there are differences and um, you know I don't know that we'll never will ever really know but I mean he really identifies as a boy Yeah. Um, So, you know, we have friends who have kids who are almost the same age and their child, sometimes she feels like a girl and sometimes she feels more like a boy Mm. and it's kind of day to day. Right. And she has two different names or he has two different names. You know, one's more, a more masculinized version. And depending on how he feels or the environment she's in, you know, she'll use one name or the other. Wow. Mm. When did you, when did you write the book? So Gay Dads, a celebration of fatherhood, came out, I think, in two thousand and two, two thousand and three. So quite a while ago.
0: So this is this is long before oh, yes. your yes, daughter. That's, that's you can, yeah, that's, she's a girl on the Oh
2: yes. Very two years yeah. old. Oh right. I'm two sorry. years old. So it was sorry. about sixteen <laughs> years ago. Right. Got it. Yes. Yeah. And I interviewed about a hundred gay dads and the book features twenty-four gay dad families. Form through adoption and surrogacy and foster care and uh, co-parenting with women. Wow! From all that, over the country, and that was back
1: when it, when it was less popular than it is now.
2: We so were. I mean, I think it's safe to say that we were pretty much pioneers. Right. We only knew a few people,
1: right? You know, how hard really was did. it then to find those? Men,
2: was it hard oh or? yeah how did you find the men that's yeah, a good question yeah well i you know i did a lot of research it t- it took over a year and i just i called a, a bunch of community centers and i when i'd find you know one gay dad couple i'd ask them about some others Right. so <laughs> word know, of mouth i i i
1: read i read it of course and 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 one one thing that stood out for me mm. is something that uh, your husband Barry said about having kids each time they wanted to have a kid he said i'm too old Set in, I'm too set in my own ways, I'm too selfish, which is to me, it's like the uh generic gay answer, yeah, to those who don't have kids. Yeah, mm. what What do you think changed uh in him between
2: that and and the having a kid? Yeah, wanting <laughs> to have kids. I think a lot of it was that I really wanted to have kids and yeah. he and he went along with it. I think, um. So he's, he is 13, 12, 13 years older than I am. So he's a little bit of a different generation. And I think, you know, for most of his adulthood, he just did not think that having kids was really a possibility. Mm-hmm. And I sort of was kind of like on the cusp of that. And, and my mother had actually always encouraged me to have kids. I don't know why, but she did. And, um, you know, I had an epiphany that I, I was turning 30 years old and I was thinking about what was the next 30 years of my life going to look like. And I wanted to have kids and he definitely did not want to in the beginning and put it off and kind of like, well, you know, why don't you make this your project <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how'd that work out for him?
2: Well, here we are, <laughs> you know, two kids almost in college. So yeah. And it was like, uh, I was very fortunate. The, f- the first phone call that I made you know, basically led to yeah. our adoption of our first son.
1: You mentioned that at around fourteen she became uh, a girly girl again.
0: It was
2: uh, a little earlier than that. It was like eleven, twelve. Oh, I so ele- when
1: she went to the camp, right? How how does he explain it now? Does he oh, see it? Does he see it as a girly part or he, he was trying to fight it what what was going on really there
2: I think the way that he would explain it is that he felt huge pressure to be a girl and to be really feminine and he was at sleepaway camp for seven weeks which is what he wanted to do which he did for I don't know seven or eight years seven or eight summers and so he was living in a bunk you know 24 hours a day with girls and female counselors And I think that he felt that he really needed to be a girl and try it on. And I, and he did, he did. And then I, and I think at some point he realized this wasn't for him. Yeah. It wasn't him. And he actually went back to that summer camp for two years as a boy and was in the boys dorms. With the, with the same people. With the same kids? Well, it was with boys, but it was the same kids. Oh. Yeah. And, oh. and he was pretty well accepted. I mean, I don't think it was perfect, but he, he was pretty well accepted.
1: Um, I know that a lot of uh, trans people and and trans activists are really kind of get offended by certain terminology that it's not correct. Do you find yourself educate people about that constantly, or do you not care?
2: You know, I really don't, and um I guess I'm kind of lucky because my son he he's he's trans and he really identifies uh, as male, so it's just he him, right, you right, you know.
0: Oh, so you're saying that if it was a little bit less binary, it would actually add a little bit more complexity.
2: Right. And, you know, he's younger. I don't know when he goes off to college. Maybe there'll be more gradations for him. But right now, he act- he's is very male-identified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think as long as we're not cool. saying something that's pejorative, then it's okay. And I think also trans people are very forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've certainly... Many not recently, but for the first probably two years, many times would make the mistake of calling my son by his birth name, which was oh. the, which was the girl's name, you know, and he didn't like it, but
0: he never got really angry. I assume you also called him by his brother's name, and if you have a dog,
2: exactly, you do exactly, by the exactly. dog's name too. That's right, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, you know, and I, I think people have the right to be called. Uh, or identified the way they want to be named and identified. And we have to just go along with it. You know, I think people have that right.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, we hear a lot about uh, trans kids who are thrown out of their house. Yes. Um, And we have received over during season one, we've received two stories from uh, gay couples who adopted uh, transgender kids. Um, I think it's, I mean, their stories are amazing, and I'll ask them to share um, on our on our blog their stories. But um, I wanted to ask you if you know something about, like, if we want to help these kids who are thrown out of the house, what can we do? Or
2: Well, so I think it depends on how much people want to do. But um, the LGBT Center in Los Angeles definitely has... Um, a teen program with a lot of trans kids, and they always need, I think they need volunteers, they need donations, they need financial donations, they need donations of clothes. A lot of homeless kids, you know, need clothes. So that's one place. Um, Children's Hospital, the trans youth clinic, they can always use donations again, some volunteering. And then I think, you know, going to the city if people really want to be, Foster parents, then they'd Mm -hmm. they'd go to the city, and they'd have to go through a training. What I'm sorry, what is the city of Los Angeles? Oh, the city of Los Angeles for uh, adoption. I see. Okay, exactly. Okay, I wanted to gather another
1: topic here, um, which is, uh, can I influence my kids' sexuality as a as a gay man? Uh, We get a lot of uh, homophobic, not a lot, but we got some homophobic uh, comments about our kids turning gay because we are right. Um, and I assume we're not the only ones just because we have a podcast. So we see it more, Mm -hmm. um,
2: what, what can you tell these people? Can I really influence them? You know, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think the studies have shown that gay and lesbian parents are just as good as straight parents. And one of the differences that we're a little more open. And so I think in that way, kids might feel that they um, can exp- can try different things on, you know, can experiment a little more than maybe kids who have straight parents can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think we can really influence sexual orientation.
0: seems to me like much like what we were talking about before, you know, that openness that you're talking about means that if, if a child has a tendency in that direction innately, um, unfortunately, there are plenty of kids who uh, never live out the lives that they would want to because their parents uh, create an environment where that seems like it would be impossible. If you are more yeah. open, then it's uh, more likely that a child that has a tendency towards being gay will... Mm. come out of the closet and do their thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So in your, in your clinic,
1: uh, what do you, what kind of patients do you have? Are they mostly about gender and sexuality?
2: So, so I'm at a community based um, clinic in mid city. So it's all different kinds of people, mm-hmm. but in my private practice, I see, I see, you know, I see straight and, and gay people and some trans people, but, but more, the, um, I'd say about two thirds of my clients are from the LGBT community.
0: How do you find a good
2: therapist? Well, you can go to the LGBT center of Los Angeles. And actually, if you live in West Hollywood, therapy is free there. But, <laughs> but, Should be. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. We live in West Hollywood. So, so for, so if you're a West Hollywood resident, you can get free therapy at the LGBT center, mm. the LGBT center. Offers sliding scale therapy. Um, they do, it's a, it's a maximum of 16 weeks. So it's what's more like brief therapy. So that's one way. Another way is to go on psychology today and you can put in your zip code and then you can see the different therapists that come up and you can also put in, um, you know, like search words like LGBT or gay Mm-hmm. You know, lesbian and then you and then therapists will come up who have some expertise. Got it. <sighs> Thank you so
0: much. Wow, it's been fascinating. Yeah. It's incredibly powerful to see that uh, there are parents who have managed to raise their children in a way that is as uh, accepting and warm as what you've done. And I know it hasn't been easy, I can tell looking at your face, but you know, and, and I'm sure that your both of your children will tell you how much you suck at one point or another of your life. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I'm sure they do it all the time already.
2: (laughs) I think there are a lot of parallels to, um, growing up gay and having heterosexual parents. And so, so, you know, for me, I really think about, okay, what would I have liked my parents to have done? What would I have liked them to have said? How could they have been more gay, Affirmative, You know, what environments could they have put me in? What people, who could they have introduced me to? Um, you know, how could my childhood have been different? Right. And I grew up, you know, I came out okay in the end. And, um, but so, you know, so for me, it's like, okay, now it's my opportunity to give that to, you know, to my kids, to, to help them have the childhood maybe that i didn't have as a young gay person who didn't know and then did know that they were gay. You
1: brought some books with you. Yes, yeah, uh, so that i have we didn't so talk about so i want to put the list on the on the website but can you tell us just Yeah, uh, i
2: mean so there are so there are tons of books on gender um, gender expression, transgender, a really great book is transgender child and it's called transgender child, a handbook for families and professionals. And this is just like the basics, really specifics, all kinds of resources. It's does a fantastic Does it stand
1: the, the test of time?
2: It definitely no. does. And okay. now they have a relatively new book called transgender teen, which mm-hmm. might even be better. So, so I would, um, I would encourage parents to start there. Okay. That's great. Thank, thank you, thank you, you much. so much for thank coming. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So it's really about being sensitive to what your kids really are. And I think that uh, there's a lot of parallel uh, growing uh, up gay, having a heterosexual parents to being gay dads and having a transgender kids and I think that one of the the most important thing that we should do is to educate ourselves about it because obviously even though we're gay some of us don't know enough about
0: no no I don't think some of us know shit about it look I I have to say that while I'm um, incredibly happy to have uh, the T join the LGB of the grouping I don't think that there is any reason to assume that a gay man understands a transgender person I think that these are the these are groups that uh need to learn about each other and by the way it probably goes in the opposite direction too that you know and 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 lesbians as well we we make these assumptions that because we're all of the, the the weird set you know of gender and and sexual orientation that somehow we understand each other i'm not sure we really do and so it's it's good for us to investigate and learn yeah yeah
1: another thing that stood out for me is the um is what he said about the question that we ask ourselves. And it's so true, growing up gay, and if we see that our our kids are different, we ask the question that we want to be asked when we were kids. So like things like, what would I have liked my parents to have done or said? How could my childhood be different than what it was? So all of these things were so sensitive about them because they created so much... Um, anxiety and pain pain that we don't want our kids to suffer and I think it's really um, that is really why we're so sensitive to look at our kids and and see like the behavior and and If we can do something to help him or her or um, encouraging them to be who they are.
0: You know, of course, I I completely agree. And I I find myself asking that question about our kids all the time. You know, how am I acting towards them that will be supportive? I think that one of my takeaways from this interview and for the, the subject overall Um, or rather one of the questions that comes up that I don't know how to answer, and we talked about it a little bit, is what is this balance between listening to your children and um, uh, uh, sort of going with the the stream of their direction as they grow up and counterbalanced against your influence on them? Because – Um, And this may be moderately unpopular, but there is really that question of how much of what your child is and becomes is preset and how much of it is uh, based on your influence, the influence of people around them, the environment around them. And it makes me um, nervous. Are you talking
1: about being trans your kid being trans
0: I am yes actually yes I am but I'm also talking about the way they um, the, the way they embrace their transness um, in their lives at what points of their lives they do what so I'll give you an example right if if my child at the age of five tells me that she is a girl right born, uh, uh biologically a boy, says, I'm a girl. It will mean something different to me if they say it to me when they are five than if they say it to me when they are 12. What should my response be when they're five versus what should my response be when they're 12? They're not the same. I think they kind of uh, answered that. I think he did. I think he did. Yeah, and it has to be consistent.
1: So it's not like one-time thing. No. And for example, remember a neighbor who said, uh, I'm a boy, I have a penis? Yes. So she keeps saying that all the time. So I would say to her parents, maybe, you know, be sensitive to this. It doesn't mean that she's trans because she's three. Right. But, you know, at this age, they already feel something that may turn out be, you know just a phase or whatever, just an expression who doesn't know what she's talking about. Or it it may be consistent until she's 10, and then it's different.
0: Completely. I guess what I'm getting at here is that the reason why this is so challenging is because Uh, And there are other areas of of raising a child that are similar to this, even though they have nothing to do with um, gender or sexuality, that have to do with the way you um, embrace your child's uh, um, differences. While at the same time, um, you know, uh, 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 providing some of who you are and some of your influence that you think can help them in their lives. And, you know, it's – again, it is – a little bit scary when you hear a parent now using that, talking about that second part, the influence that the parent has on the child, because it sounds conservative and Republican. It's not. What I'm talking about is the idea that I I need to ask myself, how am I guiding my child? How do I avoid pushing my child in such a way that I am making them unhealthy and uh, ta- uh, taking them away from that which they that they need and they want and is natural to them, but at the same time not stepping back and saying, yeah, go, I don't know, do it, however the, the hell you tumble up. And I don't know the answer to that balance. I think that he had some really uh, important Pointers about that, but I don't think we should be embarrassed. I don't think any parent should be embarrassed about asking questions about how much should I be guiding and influencing my child versus how much should I be allowing them to find their own path.
1: I, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just saying that you. You're, you're saying this as if it's a one-time thing that they say No I'm not so even if they're I mean if you see a consistency it may be th- the thing sure but you know influence I I totally agree we can definitely um, you know influence our kids to like stuff just because we like stuff yeah uh, especially when they are kids I'm not talking about like men yeah but for example Dana International. I have successfully made our kids love Dana International, and that's fine with me. Uh, It's fine with me,
0: too. I think she's deserving of of, of our children's love. I want to talk about one of my least favorite things this week, which is kamikaze children. Our children at the age of three and a half are basically scaring me shitless all day, every day. What they do is, and some of you are familiar with this if you're parents, I'm sure, especially from what I hear of boys, is they launch themselves like projectiles off of everything onto everything. Let's stand on a metal coffee table and jump as far as we can onto the couch. Let's sit on a rocking chair and rock back and forth as hard as we possibly can in the hope that the chair will flip over. And it's all so there i am standing there and i'm washing dishes or i'm 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 around the house and what i realize is that they're having fun and leaving me alone so i should actually be having a nice time feeling relaxed i don't feel relaxed my blood pressure is through the roof because basically it's about the terror of imminent injury. It's like at any moment, you're just waiting for when one of them is going to smash into something, and then it's off to Cedar Sinai Medical Center or whatever. And I don't, you know, I I understand. Finally, Ma, Ma, if you're listening, I now understand why you wanted to put me in bubble wrap when I was a child and not allow me to leave the house. Uh, I get it. I'm sorry for everything that I did. Um, And it really is, it's just terrifying to watch them and all of the physical crazy that they do. Uh, So that's my least favorite thing of the day. Charming and so true, as always.
1: (laughs) Okay, sweetheart. um, What is
0: with all the... I'm being nice to you. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I'll play it back We had for a couple of therapy yesterday. That's true, we did. Last night. It was good. It was good stuff. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys very much. Thank we you. Hope that we hope you'll write to us.
1: Yes, definitely. It's hello at daddySQR.com. If you have an email by any chance, <laughs> so just email us. If not, you can do the Instagram thing, which is the Gay Dads Podcast and uh and next week we have the pride starting yes. so we have some some things, special things uh that we've prepared for you so stay to stay tuned um and i'm excited and thank you guys for listening thank you guys
0: Bye-bye. bye bye becoming a dad surrogacy is an amazing way to grow your family circle surrogacy has successfully made the dream of parenthood a reality for gay singles and couples from across the u.s and around the world for over 20 years the surrogacy process and surrogacy costs can be complex circles experienced staff will partner with you on your path to parenthood Circle Surrogacy was founded on the belief that everyone should have the opportunity to become a parent, and they've helped bring almost 2,000 babies into this world. Circle Surrogacy makes parenthood possible for gay dads. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com.